0: Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and just to kind of peel back the curtain here a little bit, boys and girls, all of you need to understand that it's it's actually pretty rare. It is very, very rare, in fact, for me to re-record a, a, a given episode of Trenis Magnus Punches Reality. Normally what you guys hear in any given episode that I release perhaps with a little bit of editing generally though that is what I recorded the exceptions are few far between and mostly they only serve to prove the rule a good example of what I'm talking about is episode 1 the very first episode of Trenis Magnus Punches Reality I ever made, I recorded once, and then I re-recorded. Another one is episode 99, which originally was about The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. And I was able to talk at some length about all three of those movies in the original version of episode 99 that I recorded, but what I realized was I wasn't able to talk about all of them in the depth that, you you know, in retrospect, they deserved. So I re-recorded episode 99 as kind of a standalone piece specifically about The Phantom Menace, and I figured, well, I'll deal with those other two later. And did. Uh, there were other episodes I released that eventually they did address Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Both both of those movies in greater depth than had been uh, discussed in the original version of episode 99. And I'll go out on a limb and say that maybe one or two other episodes of Trenus Magnus Punch's reality were re-recorded. Oh, Spider-Man 3. That was another one. Um, the original version of Spider-Man 3 that I recorded, look, it was fine all by itself. But what I realized was this episode is missing something. And so I sent Scott Gardner a message on Facebook and I, I, I told him, I was like, look, man, I'm not trying to make my problems your problems. But, um... I just, I can't get my head around this episode. So, would you mind joining in on it with me? And you and I can just talk about Spider Man 3 together. And luckily for me, he was ready, willing, able, and as it turns out, eager to dive headfirst into this thing and bail me out of my own problem because he's a good guy. But really, aside from those, I mean, I'm at a real loss to think of a time that I've ever uh, uh, re-recorded an episode of my show. So with a preamble that is closing in on nearly four minutes in length, what do you think the odds are? I'm here to talk about why I re-recorded this episode. They're probably pretty good, right? Basically, the... The original version of the episode that you're hearing right now, I recorded it, and it was—at the time that I recorded it, like, if I had, like, instantly released that episode, I think it actually would have been just fine. No problem. I actually think it would have turned out all right, and it really wouldn't have been a big deal. But the problem was the original version of this episode, the absolute state of the comic book union— I recorded that back in February. In case that's not specific enough for anybody, I recorded that pre-COVID. So right off the bat, the the shelter in place, the lockdown, the quarantine, whatever you want to call it, instantly threw that entire episode up in the air. And the reason for that was because You have to understand, it wasn't even a hot take at the time that I made this prediction. But the prediction I made in the original recorded version of this episode was that the comic book industry, as we knew it, will not exist anymore by uh, 11.59 p.m. on December the 31st, 2020. Something is going to change. And the bet that I made is that most likely DC Comics would cease publishing... The act of which would create a domino effect, which would basically knock down all of the other uh, publishers as well, and everyone would be forced to call it a day. And the the thing about that is that prediction may be true. It may not be true. I mean, who knows? It. I mean, I feel weird even calling it a prediction. It was more like that's something that I was expecting to happen. Or wouldn't be surprised if it happened, but I'm not like guaranteeing you that it's going to happen. But anyway, like I say, uh, COVID kind of threw all of that up in the air because I don't really do a, uh, a hot take type of podcast. I've never really wanted that. I'm not really interested in that, but... Even by my admittedly meager standards, I mean, this idea post-COVID, this idea of predicting that the comic book industry was going to have some serious problems before the end of the year. I mean, you want to talk about like an Arctic, like sub-zero take. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. So it's like at the time, again, at the time that I recorded this, I think that was a very salient, very germane, very relevant point. And unfortunately... As so often happens in life there was somebody like a uh, some communist partisan or something like that who ended up um, getting arrested tried and then executed uh, during World War two on the Eastern Front he said I apologize but I got caught up in the gales of history or so it was something like that and The original version of this episode got caught up in the gales of history, right? That's... It happens sometimes. When you record stuff really far out ahead of time, I guess i would never fully appreciated it before, but man, you talk about taking a risk. So, what I want to do right now is not so much re-record that episode, because I'm not sure if I'm going to make the same points as I did before, (sighs) Maybe what I need to do is reimagine this episode. You understand? I'm thinking that maybe the best thing to do here is perhaps explain where I'm at with my personal fandom, my thoughts and uh, feelings and concerns related to the comic book industry. And what my life as a collector has been like for the last several years. And the trends that I see coming on the horizon. And then after that, let the chips fall where they may. Now, it was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, at the time that you're hearing this, it was just a couple of weeks ago that I released an episode of Ternus Magnus Punches Reality, about Ethan van skyver's uh, Frog Blood honey comic, so I guess this is as is as good as uh, a place to start as any when it comes to where I'm at right now with my fandom. basically, guys, I understand that Ethan van Skyver is for some a controversial figure. I wasn't too interested in. Discussing that stuff in the Cyber Frog episode that I did. Primarily, uh, the reason for that was because the guy is a comic book creator. He made a comic book. He released a comic book. I bought that comic book. And then I read that comic book. And so it seemed... I thought it seemed a, a little bit inappropriate to get too off topic talking about a bunch of bullshit twitter drama that honestly it i've got no stake in that you know i i really don't it's not my business and honestly in terms of ethan van skyver's career the decisions he's made that led to him in some way or another or through some means or another leaving dc comics back in 2018 again it's not my business all right it's not like anybody tapped me on the shoulder and asked, Magnus, what do you think about this? You know, nobody was asking me that question, all right? Um, that was a decision that was made between Van Skyver and DC Comics Management. They went their separate ways. And EVS basically went into business for himself. And so, having said all of that, though... I look at a lot of the points that Van Skyver and people like him make that basically they want to make comic books that appeal to fans. They want to make comic books that are largely free of a political agenda. They want to make comic books that are fun and entertaining. And I guess over and above everything, they want to make comic books on their own terms. It's pretty much that simple, right? As it happens, I'm in kind of a unique position right now to appreciate comic books like that, really for a variety of reasons, Um, one of which is the fact I won't say who. I think I talked about this on the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group, so forgive me if you've read this story there already. But I want to go ahead and get into a story right now that'll kind of set the context here a little bit for what I'm talking about. Again, I'm not going to say who. But there is a comic book creator out there with whom I was once Facebook friends. This this is going a pretty long way back now. This was like seven, eight, nine years ago, something like that. It was a pretty long time ago. And... Basically, I expressed just a very mainstream, very generalized, very normy sort of political opinion uh, ab- ab- about something, and this particular comic book creator, a writer, saw that comment and realized that it's on the other side of the aisle from where this person typically votes on where the, the the side of the aisle with the issues he believes in the candidates that he believes in etc I don't know if this I, I, I don't remember offhand if this was on my Facebook or this, this comic book pro or former comic book pro or one time I mean I don't know does this person still make comics I have no idea but at least at the time he was a pro active in the industry And like I say, I don't remember if it was on my own Facebook or his Facebook, or if he just saw something that I that I said in response to. I I don't remember the details. Is the point, you know? But he said words to the effect of, "Wow, I never realized that you were a book-burning Nazi." That's what he said to me. Yeah. Now, guys, you need to understand this. This comic book pro has been very controversial at different points in his career. He has uh, written comics that have upset a lot of different people. He's taken more incoming than I had seen any creator take up to that point. You know, He had more people coming after him with abuse and invective than anything I'd ever seen up to that point you know and this was a guy who this and this is my point what we're talking about is a comic book creator who had very few friends and very few allies in the fan base I happen to be one of them all right I and it's certainly not my business to defend every single comic book that this guy has ever written. I'm not saying that they're all genius, but there are a few golden nuggets in his bibliography that I think are proof that he has interesting stories to tell. He has a unique voice in the world of comic books, and this is somebody who I'm just going to say it was just extremely underrated and very misunderstood. Very few people were willing to ever stand up for him. But I was one of them. And this creator, over a minor and kind of tepid expression of a, of a political opinion of my own that really had nothing to do with him as I recall saw fit to call me a book burning Nazi now I'm not saying all of that to to drum up sympathy or anything like that people talk all kinds of shit on Facebook and let's face it 99% of it nobody really means the the shit that they talk to one another in the great majority of cases it's people who are perhaps letting their emotions get away with them or in some cases it's uh, just trolling in other cases maybe it's just a kind of elaborate performance art i mean there's all kinds of agendas and motives that people have for signing onto facebook earnest truthfulness is just one of them guys there are tons of reasons to do it right? but at the end of the day somebody that I never met before I never had a problem with and in fact actually had a very high opinion of and had defended on several occasions insulted me for no reason whatsoever other than the fact that I expressed a very meek it wasn't even a political opinion it was just a policy preference it's, it's a little bit different than uh, publishing some kind of uh, political manifesto of why I'm a whatever uh, uh, ideologue and it's, it's demanding that everybody uh, validate that agree with that or fuck you you know if i if I'd been in any way abrasive or controversial or opinionated or uh, vitriolic, abusive, whatever, I would understand kind of the the response that I got. But that wasn't that wasn't my demeanor or behavior or presentation at all. It was just, oh well, I think the better thing to do would be this thing over here. And for, for my trouble, book burning Nazis. Now, just put yourself in my shoes for, for just a minute. Say that there's a comic book pro out there who whose work you've, you've defended, you've enjoyed, you've um, made a point of financially supporting because you know that he frequently takes it on all sides from, from, all, from all different people and in your opinion it's completely unjustified. Put yourself in my shoes. Are you very likely to financially support that person's work after they call you a book-burning Nazi, after you express, again, just a really mild policy preference on something. How likely are you to support that person's work and their career going forward? if you say that you're willing to do it, I'm sorry, you're a fucking liar, okay, there's nobody in the world who is going to sit through and being insulted like that publicly and continue supporting that, that person's work, all right, it's just fucking not possible, all right, and The reason I'm saying all of this is to say that a lot of comic book pros are guilty of some very fucking bad behavior to their own fans, to comic book fans, right? What I try to tell people, guys, is that Trentis Magnus punches reality is, it's basically some guy, some asshole, with an opinion and a microphone, there's some stuff that's kind of thoughtful, there's some stuff that's hopefully a little bit funny there's some stuff that's hopefully entertaining and all in all this is a podcast that is meant for everybody it's not meant for a certain sliver of the podcasting uh, listening audience I want everyone to understand that they're at least welcome to listen and it's not like I make a whole lot of money off of podcasting but it's just to me The best way for me to do my business when it comes to podcasting is to express my opinion, but do so in a way that everyone knows that I understand I'm just some dickhead with an opinion and a microphone. I don't think I'm like some people, some people just have a serious ego problem and I'm not aware of it quite as much in the podcasting world. But you go onto YouTube and these people have seriously lost some fucking perspective on who they are and what they do less of an issue I find in 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 the in, in the podcasting world right? and like I say my livelihood does not depend upon me treating my my audience with good manners kindness and respect okay it just doesn't but if it did if it did don't you think i now have a financial reason to to be friendly and uh uh, warm and welcoming supportive of everybody if this was the way that i put a roof over my head and food on my table don't you think it's uh, it's incumbent upon me to make sure that all of my listeners understand that they are respected I think I, I think it is all right. Now, this writer, this comic book pro, his livelihood is very much dependent upon his ability to uh, uh, build an audience, attract fans, uh, increase sales, and basically have a successful selling comic book when you start insulting and openly uh, uh, mocking and humiliating the people who buy your comics how likely are they to continue buying your comics and the answer to that is not very likely what about the other people the ones that you're not insulting don't you don't you know that they're gonna see you insult other people and think, okay, well, I don't ever want to take the chance of getting crosswise with this guy. I'm out. I'm done. All right. And my point in saying all of this, this kind of extended war story that I'm telling you here, a lot of comic book pros on Twitter and God knows other places are guilty of, like I say, some very fucking bad behavior. All right. Gail Simone went on this almighty uh, uh, Twitter rant uh, and she posted all of these uh, uh, bizarre pictures of these creepy masks and she made fun of the anonymity that a lot of people use on Twitter and the reason that a lot of people are anonymous on Twitter and they use pseudonyms is because there's an entire contingent of people out there who will try to get them fired from their jobs for expressing just normal regular kind of basic opinions about hey I don't I really don't like the direction of, uh, you know where these comic books are going alright that's already happened to a couple of different people whose only crime quote-unquote is basically saying yeah you know these comics over here written by these people these are not very good comics here are some comic books that you that, that we can compare these things to. These are comics done right over here, these back issues, whereas these new comics, these are not very good for the reasons of blah, 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 blah. She was needlessly harassing them and completely unprovoked. There wasn't any obvious reason for Gail Simone to go on this huge, gigantic uh, Twitter rant whereby she accosts all of these different uh, comic book fans for basically wanting to protect their lives. The lives that they've built. Protecting their livelihoods. Protecting the uh, their, uh, their their careers, their families, their homes, all of it. You know? And... All I can say is payback is a bitch because... Gail Simone she tried launching her own YouTube channel and YouTube is very different from Twitter on Twitter if somebody says something that you don't like you can block them problem solved doesn't work that way on Twitter if you allow comments on your uh, on your YouTube videos on Twitter you can block people on YouTube you can if you allow comments on your YouTube videos people can say basically whatever the hell they want and there's really not a whole lot that you can do to stop them and what ended up happening in a, a few of the videos that uh, gail simone posted this is not to speak of the fact that a lot that the videos that she posted i mean cringe does not even begin to describe it but the the comments look some of them are they were a little bit whatever but others of them were basically uh, they would quote tweets that uh, Gail had sent to them saying hey you remember when, when you said this to me this, this tweet right here when you said this to me? well I do, fuck you you know and different people were posting different tweets uh, basically copying in the text of stuff that and this stuff was horrible like I wouldn't say stuff like that to my worst enemy, you know and or here's another one. Actually, I, I can just keep on going. The point is, you know, comic book pros have gone so far out of their way to alienate the people who buy their comics that when it comes down to stuff like uh, Ethan Van Skyver crowdfunding a Cyberfrog comic, I've met Ethan Van Skyver exactly once in my life. It was just kind of. It was barely a conversation, you know? I mean, like, you know how it is, like, when you go to a con and you you talk to some comic book pro and sometimes, like, you can just kind of hang out at their table and just kind of shoot the bull with them for a little bit. And other times, you know, maybe you can only s- stick around for just a few seconds. Hey, man, I think you're awesome, but I got to go over here. You know, it, it just kind of varies. You can have all different kinds of interactions with with pros at, at cons and i was basically hanging out i just to tell you how much things have changed i was at Palooza, and i believe this was 2009 i was hanging around at rob liefeld's table and his table was right next to van skyver's and neither of them had any kind of line whatsoever you know uh this was just i i to this day i can't figure it out because there was a period there for like a good hour, hour and a half. There was just no one around. Now, when I came back a little while later, you know, they both had massive lines. But at the time that I first showed up and I was just kind of shooting the bull with uh, Liefeld, he was doing some kind of sketch. I don't even know what. Um, There was no one else there. And so I was just kind of just shooting the bull with him, And he was, you know, uh, cracking jokes right back at me. It was just kind of a fun little experience. And, um, there was kind of a pause in my, uh, sort of back and forth little banter that I was having with Rob Liefeld. And I glanced over at Van Skyver, like at the, at that, because you know, it is like, sometimes it's like people just like look at each other, like at the same time. And it's, it, it happens. I, it's weird, but it does happen sometimes. And so I was like, hey, man, you know, how how, how you doing? I'm really enjoying, um, or rather, I really enjoyed uh, Green Lantern Rebirth and a bunch of other stuff that he does. Like, you know, I just think uh, a lot of that stuff is uh, solid. And I do. I mean, <clears throat> uh, I, I, I do enjoy those things. I've got some reservations about some aspects of Van Skyver's style, at least as it goes for su- like mainstream superheroes. But, you know, nevertheless, I I, I do enjoy those, those comics. And he looked, he looked kind of flattered, you know, He looked kind of touched by that. He's like, oh, well, you know, thank you very much. You know, I mean, I, I I appreciate it, you know, pleasantries. And so, uh, and then he and I, I don't even remember the rest, but, uh, you know, he and I said a few other, you know, two or three other things to each other, but it wasn't like, is that really meeting somebody? I mean, I don't know, but. You know, whatever the I guess the the point of it is, um, whether it's online or in person or just whatever else. Ethan Van Sciver has never called me names. He's never made fun of, at least that I've seen. He's never made fun of people for using aliases in order to protect their identities. He's never called me a book burning Nazi. You know, he's never done anything like that. You know, he seems that he seems to care only about making the best comic books that he possibly can and selling those comic books to as many people as possible. And that's, that's pretty much it. You know, he doesn't really seem to have an agenda beyond that. And same thing really for a lot of crowdfunders, but you know, Ethan Skyver is just such an obvious example, you know, <clears throat> and what I've come to realize is, between all of these comics that are coming out right now with shit artists and shit writers and they've got these shit stories going on, shit concepts, you know, that along with the fact that comic book pros feel absolutely no pressure whatsoever to conform to anything that might be mistaken for common manners and just basic decency being polite no interest in, in in doing that and no professional facing no professional consequences for not doing it you know the comic books sucks uh the the uh, comic books suck a lot of these new characters suck the comic book pros are just, for the most part, talentless hacks. And then on top of that, their behavior sucks. And the realization I had is, you know what? I've got no loyalty whatsoever to this industry anymore. That is a day that I never thought would happen, because I basically, like for the most part, I I retired from buying new comics just about the time that the new 52 launched, um, basically what had happened was I'd spent the last couple of years, several years really, up to that point, really getting into Marvel. But there was something that happened with Fear Itself where, it's not that Fear Itself was bad. I know that a lot of people out there bag on, uh, on the entire Fear Itself concept. And I don't think it was bad. It's just, I didn't, I didn't get into Fear Itself as much as I did things like Civil War or Secret Invasion or, hell, for that matter, even uh, Daredevil's uh, Shadowland. You know, there's just a lot of things about Fear Itself that I just thought, these are not, like, objectively bad comics. It's just, it, it just seems like Marvel, they're just not trying as hard anymore as they used to. Now, these days, Fear Itself looks like fucking Shakespeare, but at that time fear itself. It just, it, I I didn't think, and really still don't think that it quite measured up to stuff like house of M, you know? So there was that going on. You combine that with the fact that the new 52 was uh, getting launched right around that same time. And it's like, well, there's really not a whole lot going on anymore with Marvel or DC that really interests me anymore. And so I think I'm just going to call it a day. You know, and largely did. I mean, I did follow the Walking Dead. I think I was still reading the Walking Dead at that because I think everybody was reading the Walking Dead. Like, what am I saying? Um, I was still following. Uh, I, I was following. Let me think. Um, a Daredevil at that time. That was definitely a priority. Um, some Boom Studios uh, stuff, as I recall. Jeez, what else? Um, I think Morning Glories from Image Comics. uh, Anything to do with the Legion of Superheroes, because they really weren't affected by this whole new 52 bullshit. But, you know, like for the most part, you know, I started just backing away from collecting new stuff in the way that I had been up to that time. And what I said at the time was, It's really just a question of what do I want to be spending my money on? You know, right now, these companies are putting out stuff that I think is substandard, I don't think is good, and I'm really not getting a whole lot of enjoyment out of. Doesn't really make sense to continue financially supporting this, you know, but I didn't feel you know, betrayed or for that matter, insulted. It was just, Hey, I'm not really digging on the stuff that's happening right now. And I want to see what else is out there that that's available to me. And like I say, I mean, there was stuff that was going on that I thought was pretty interesting. Like uh, the shadow got uh, relaunched um, at uh, dynamite at that time. And I'll even say that for for as little enjoyment as I got out of the new 52, even I'm willing to acknowledge that, yeah, Jeff Johns on Aquaman was that was pretty solid. You know, the Jeff Johns run on Aquaman, I don't think he did for Aquaman what he did for Green Lantern. Although maybe he did, because it's like before Jeff Johns, nobody took that character seriously. Whereas after Jeff Johns, he started getting a lot more respect. So, I mean, I don't know. It's all on how you look at it. But, you know, I guess what I'm saying is I still had some affection for the mainstream industry at that time, even if I was supporting overall fewer titles. The way that things are now, there's basically nobody out there, nobody at all, that I feel all that much loyalty to. I mean, the only comic book that I can think of offhand that's coming out right now that I have any kind of affection for is Vengeance of Vampirella from Dynamite. And pretty much anything else besides that, sorry, um, odds are the artist uh, uh, behind that that particular that particular comic, meaning any given comic book at all, anything else that's out there, you know, that artist has insulted me, if not personally, directly, and specifically, then indirectly, impersonally, and generally, or that writer has, or that editor has, or whoever. And it gets to a point where, you know, how many times can, can all these different uh, big, big wigs in the same industry tell you to go fuck off before you like, okay, peace deuces. I'm out. You know, how many times does that need to happen? You know, now you look at, uh, crowd funds, crowdfunded comics, right? Stuff like cyber frog. And here's the thing, guys, the first cyber frog, uh, the first crowdfunded cyber frog, uh, comic came out and like, what was it? Like, uh, 2019, or something like that. Or maybe at the beginning of this year. I'm actually, I'm not really sure when that happened, but it was something like that, right? That's when it started, like sometime in 2019, when when the campaign started. And then the actual comic book, I guess, started getting sent out about a year after that. And now... Cyberfrog 2, Wrecked Planet, the, uh, the campaign for that, I think is over at this point. I don't even know if it's still in demand anymore, but that's going to be coming out sometime in 2021. Now, let's think about this, guys. Those comic books go for about 25 bucks a pop. And with all the different stretch goals and everything, you're definitely getting your money's worth out of it. And here's the thing. It's extremely easy to follow that comic book. You can spend twenty five or whatever on on the comic book, and then it may be a year or even two years before the next issue comes out. How easy is that to follow? and same thing with with other crowdfunded comics, you know they come out so infrequently that yeah, they cost more than the average monthly comic book does. But what you gain is something that's easy to follow. It comes out infrequently. And it's generally made by people who are doing this for love of the game. I'm not saying that all of these people are saints or that you have to like them or anything like that. I'm just saying that these are people who care about what they do. And I don't know if you can really say that a lot of writers and artists in, uh, Mar- well, I don't, I don't know so much about DC, but definitely a Marvel. I really don't think you can say that most of them really care about what they're doing. But Van Sciver, love him or hate him, he loves making comic books about a talking frog, you know, and. I've read one of those comics about a talking frog. And you know what? It was a fun comic. I had a great time doing it. And what I've realized is, yeah, it caused... Like, the initial buy-in is is higher. But, number one, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. And number two, this is an easy thing to follow. You don't have to... One of the things that, I, that really pissed me off about comics when I was a kid, especially Superman comics is it was the fucking grind you know you had to follow this story week after fucking week you know you had four and eventually five superman uh, titles that were coming out and i understand that for the people who loved the triangle numbering system and had the ability and the money to get to the to the lcs every single week and and pick up their loot that was a golden period all right I understand that. I even acknowledge the fact that those are generally superior uh, Superman stories. But the fact is, I was a kid. I didn't have a license, and I didn't. I, I didn't have uh, a big enough allowance to really allow myself to follow this stuff week after week after week after week. And it was just a fucking pain in the balls to be a Superman fan at that time. I mean, I guess I'm sorry if that upsets anyone, but I was a little kid. And it was tough to do that at the time. Whereas the crowdfunded stuff, I don't even have to fucking leave home. I just uh, send, uh, put in my my uh, credit card info, click send, and then about a year later, here comes the comic book. Or actually, it wasn't even that. In in the case of Blood Honey, all I did was sign on to eBay, type in my credit card number, and then it was like a week and a half or something like that because there was some shipping bullshit that went on problems with usps basically delayed this thing and so it was like a week and a half later the comic book arrived didn't even have to fucking leave home you know and the next issue of Cyberfrog that's coming out is coming out in i guess about a year and so i don't have to worry about missing any issues between now and then everything's set and ready to go and it's like it's an overall better product than is getting put out by the the mainstream industry. Oh, and by the way, Ethan Van Skyver at least isn't an asshole to me. He doesn't treat me like shit. He doesn't call me names. He doesn't try to humiliate me in public. He doesn't call me book-burning Nazi. All he wants to do is sell me comics that he's tried to make as entertaining as he possibly can. And it's like, what, like somehow I'm an asshole for wanting to support the comic book creators who don't treat me like shit what am i supposed to do guys you tell me why should i pay money for substandard comics drawn by substandard artists written by substandard writers um managed by substandard e- uh, editors at these just fucking insane cover prices that they expect uh to get uh, month after month sometimes twice per month it's like no fuck you all right i mean I'm not going to sit here and pay you this kind of money for such a shitty product when all you're going to do in the end anyway is turn around and call me a fucking racist, okay? I mean, sorry, life's too long to live with something like that, okay? I don't I've I don't have the time or the inclination, you know? I don't. And so there's that, you know. That was not specifically a that was not specifically an element Of my, of the original recording of this episode, but it was something that I wanted to throw out there, you know, in this post COVID world in which we all now live guys, whether anyone likes it or not, crowdfunding is the future. You know, you can hate comics gate all you want, but they have found a very prosperous business model. And if you think the mainstream uh, industry isn't watching that really closely and taking fucking notes? Then you're not paying attention, all right. I'm not saying that. Well, fuck it. Uh, what I, I, I'm not going to tell you what I'm not saying. What I am saying is that Comics Gate or something similar to it, you know, this crowdfunding thing. That's the future. That's the future, and for those reasons, you should not be surprised if 10 years from now, the entire comic book industry, who, whatever, and whoever that consists of uses some type of a crowdfunding model, you know, and I'm going to get more into this in a, a future episode, but the belief that I have is that, as per my original recording of this episode, whether it's next month, later this year, next year, at some point, guys, DC Comics is going to cease publication. And when that happens, what I think is most likely is that their their characters, like DC characters like Aquaman, Batman, Superman, The Flash, etc., Green Lantern they're going to get licensed out to other publishers. All right. And there are going to be creators who organize crowdfunding for those comics and and those characters, and they basically manage the license. What I think the future is going to be is one where successful managers are going to be able to continue working while unsuccessful managers will not be able to continue working, all right? The realization that I had, just to kind of tie this back to Van Skyver, the the realization I had is that, yes, he makes comics, but in a certain sense, he doesn't really make comics anymore. What he does is brand management, and he's damn good at it. And what I think is going to define success in comics in the future, it's ultimately going to come down to how well the licensee manages a given brand, whether it's, it's, uh, I don't know, a uh, blue devil or green lantern or the flash or Superman or fucking whoever the, the relevant issue is going to be how well do they manage this license? How well do they manage this brand? And the only thing that's going to matter, it's not going to have anything to do with their politics or their ethnicity, their sexual preferences, or any of that. The only thing that's going to matter is sales. Are those numbers where they need to be? If the answer is yes, they get to keep the license, I suspect. If those numbers are not where they need to be, then the license holder is going to take that license and give it to a different manager and a different one and a different one until they start getting the numbers that they want. All right. I'm not predicting that that's going to happen, but I am going to say you shouldn't be surprised if that's what does happen because in the post-COVID world, no one really knows what that's going to look like just yet. But it does stand to reason it's not going to look a whole lot like the world that we used to live in. And the crowdfunding model has proven itself to be viable. You can have what would be in the mainstream industry relatively low sales in the form of a relatively small number of backers and still clear well into the six-figure range that's where we are now right it it almost doesn't even make sense at this point to continue with the old model of of distribution now that we've got crowdfunding it doesn't really make sense to to maintain the retail model anymore Why? Why not just sell direct to the consumer? So, again, I'm not predicting that's what will happen. I'm just saying that would be smart business if it did. So, take that for whatever you think it's worth. The final thing that I want to leave everybody with is that, guys, the way that I think the history books are going to be written is that COVID broke Diamond Comics distributors, all right? COVID broke the comic book industry. COVID is the reason that it may still happen, These that certain publishers just go under. COVID, COVID, COVID. Guys, the fact is, before the COVID outbreak, this industry was already in a really fucking bad place. Think about how little it took. To break Diamond. They had one lackluster week, and then one revenue-free week. That was all it took to break Diamond. One bad week, and one non-week. And then Diamond is in deep shit. That's all it took. This industry was never healthy. Or at least it hasn't been healthy in a very long time. This industry doesn't want to save itself. And you can love the crowd funders or you can hate the crowd funders. But the minimum that you have to give them is number one, they want to make entertaining comics. And number two, they do think that the industry should save itself. So I honestly have no idea. You know, having released an episode about Cyberfrog, and now an episode tacitly in, uh, endorsing the uh, crowd funders. honestly don't know what that's going to do to my audience. Like, is, is my audience going to actually grow in size? Or did I just kill it? I honestly don't know. But either way, I at least wanted to get all of this off my chest. It's something that I've been living with for a pretty long time now and at the very least what i thought was it almost feels uh, pretentious to, to say that uh, talking about something is cathartic but it's like in a weird kind of way it is you know it is kind of a load off my chest you know to finally just say some of the stuff and to get it out there so i have no idea if my podcast can survive those two episodes you know the cyber frog episode and this one I guess we'll find out, but, um, either way, um, at least it's out there now and no one can say that I've been dishonest with you. So anyways, so there you go. Now, as it goes for, uh, next week, uh, basically what I'm going to be doing is, uh, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest to talk about a very special movie and I think that maybe is a good tease for uh, next week's episode but that's for next week but I think that's pretty much it for me for this week so bye everybody I will see you next week hopefully feel free to email me. And I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And... Just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to 2TrueFreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trenus Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real life events is purely coincidental and void were prohibited by law. Some assembly required, batteries not included. Many will enter, few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trenis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with De Mansocor of Milan, Italy.